Welcome to the Fine Arts Educator Coaching Clinics Podcast, the podcast that supports art, theater, dance, and music teachers by sharing instructional trends and exploring perspectives in fine arts education. I am your host, Eric Sanford. Visit our website, faecc.org, to find resources and links to this podcast. While you're there, follow our socials and let us know your thoughts on the episode. Today, we are joined by Chris Neal, a licensed professional counselor and music educator. Chris's background includes studies in music education and conducting, and also holds a master's in marriage and family therapy. Chris has been in education since 1993 and counseling since 2016. He hosts the Resilient Self podcast and currently provides psychotherapy for adults and couples, current and former military, performing artists, and athletes. In addition, Chris provides consulting and education for businesses and organizations in mindfulness, leadership, and group dynamics. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Tell us a little about your journey that led to where you are today. Wow. Well, I'll try to give you the short version. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I started my career as, as um, most aspiring band directors do, getting an undergrad in music education and uh, got connected with some wonderful mentors and, and just really invested in a music teaching career for many years and um, uh, had many joys and, and um, just met wonderful people, uh, but just reached a, a stage in my life when I felt like um, maybe there were other things out there for me and uh, um, tried to be very intentional about what was next and uh, came across the counseling profession. And um, some people that I trusted said they thought that was a good idea. And so I, I began to study at a program at uh, Southern Nazarene University in Bethany, Oklahoma, which interestingly is, yes, it's a Christian university, but it's very much a clinical counseling program. It's not a Christian counseling program, but just really was challenged in so many ways there. And uh, um, through that work, got interested in, in mind-body work. And, and um, so uh, that's a lot of what I do now is, is I work from a, a mind-body perspective with people, helping them understand all these connections in our lives, mind, body, spirit, relationships, uh, former self, current self. And when we draw those connections, then exciting things can happen. Now, our topic today is about promoting self-care for fine arts teachers. Mm -hmm. And you have a very unique perspective of being on both sides of the fine arts educator side and as a counselor. Mm -hmm. So where do we begin when we want to address self-care for, for teachers in general? Eric, I think this is so important in so many professions this year, or this currently. Um, so just a quick aside, I, I actually took a year uh, to go back to public school teaching for a year and, um, and kind of reacquainted myself with how stressful that job really is. And had a great year, but it almost killed me. And uh, so, uh, I, but it, it was also wonderful because it allowed me to reconnect with all of those challenges that we face in, in a public school classroom and, and in the fine arts. And I think um, where it starts 
is um, recognizing the importance of self-care and recognizing the, the absolute importance of carving out time for ourselves, making a commitment to it, and also learning those things about ourselves as individuals that really help us recharge our batteries, help us off-gas all these you know intense feelings and, and experiences that we have. Uh, and uh, what, I, what I find in all, all scenarios really is that um, you know, when we have stressful things happen to us or we have big feelings, we tend to put those into containers because we can't necessarily let those out in the middle of junior high band class or in a principal's meeting. We, we have to kind of contain those, and we understand that. But if we don't give those away to um, manifest and, and give ourselves a way to deal with those, they're going to come up again. And uh, usually if we wait too long and let too much stuff build up in those interpersonal containers, then they tend to come back in fairly impressive fashion, and uh, that that can that can lead to other consequences for us for sure. I know the root causes for a lot of stressors are there's some very common ones for teachers. There's also a lot in the political atmosphere and just ever changing world of education right now too. And so I don't really want to touch too much on that because we can go to a million other places and blogs and find the same information on that too and, and it's not going to reduce anyone's anxiety or stress about starting this school year or mm -hmm. if you're listening to this during the school year it's not going to help at all for that what i do want to do is take a look at some things that we can isolate for ourselves like you mentioned what are the signs that point to our downward spiral you know what are the things that the small things or the big things that seem to add up that we can catch ourselves and saying eric you're on a point where you need to stop and reevaluate what's kind of going on or just kind of address the things. What are some things that I could do or just any teacher when we're kind of in that situation or, or just some red flags we can find in ourselves? That's a great question. And Eric, I think part of this is rooted in recognizing the difference between stress and anxiety because we typically use those interchangeably, but I think they're actually very different. Uh, tell, me, tell me more about that because that, that's a new concept to me. Okay, sure. Um, and there's a great book. Uh, Dr. Kelly McGonigal has a book called The Upside of Stress, which is really interesting. And it's, that's a public-facing book. It's not, not necessarily for psychology people like me. It's, it's really for anyone. And um, uh, the, the basic idea that we are beings that thrive on stress. And if you think about in the arts, any of us who are performing artists, you know, there's that performance energy that we get. And if you're not motivated for a performance, you're not going to perform well. And if you're not motivated to kind of bring out your best stuff in a classroom, then you're not going to, right? And so there is, you can actually chart, you can graph um, achievement uh, with challenge. And if you have no challenge, you have no achievement. And then those tend to go up, and then it forms a nice little bell curve because at the top we sort of find that that optimal performance zone where we're really just in that zone of where we're being challenged at the right amount and we're doing our best work. And then when we go into the other side of that bell curve, then we start to become overwhelmed and the challenge becomes too much, and then our performance starts to drop off. And so if you imagine being on one side of that bell curve where you are under-challenged, you're under uh, mind-body arousal, right, where we're kind of amped up and in the moment, um, you know, if, if we're under-aroused, then that looks a certain way. And then you go over to the same point on the other side of that bell curve, hyper-arousal uh, 
either way, we're not really performing very well. And what's kind of funny is that sometimes the outward appearance can, can look very similar. And so I think a lot of the challenge in managing stress is learning how and where we do our best work and uh, recognizing that stress up to a point is our friend uh, and um, recognizing that, that learning how to kind of balance that out and we learn how to kind of find our, our own flow as it were when, when we're in doing our best work. You probably, uh, I bet you've had this, Eric, uh, experiences where you're maybe working on, um, on your trumpet player, so maybe Arbens or something, right? Do a little, 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 you know, one of those. And you ever get to where you, you almost kind of lose track of time on those? All the time. Yeah, yeah. And so you're, you're, you're kind of in that zone, right? That's actually called flow. And there's a book about that too, which is really neat. Um, and, so I don't want to get too far away from your original question, but I do think that recognizing the distinction between stress and anxiety and recognizing that stress in inherently is not necessarily a bad thing. It's what caused caveman to fight the tiger and chase the antelope. Uh, and, um, and it's what causes us to rise to the challenge. It what just caused my puppy to bark when she wants a treat, uh, back in the other room. Um, and so, uh, when we learn how to balance that, and then, like you said, learning how to recognize when we are in overwhelm and what are those things that uh, can show. That was the original question, if I'm, mm -hmm. am I? And, and where, where, where does anxiety kind of play in that? Because like you said, stress is, there is performance stress. And like you mm -hmm. said, it can make you do better as a performer. Sure. But where does the anxiety part kind of come in? Is it on the opposite side of that bell curve? Is it something else completely? Where does that lay in this whole foundation? Eric, so much of what I work with with people is with the understanding that these things are adaptive until they become maladaptive. They help us survive up until the point that they start to create consequences for us. So if you think about something like um, just something as simple as heart rate becoming elevated, right? Um, well, if you're, if you're playing Shostakovich's Fifth Symphony, you kind of want your heart rate elevated a little bit, right? You want to be in that moment. But then if you, you know, all of a sudden the conductor points to you and it's your, you know, it's my turn to play that E-flat clarinet solo in the Shostakovich 5. And, oh boy, well, if my heart rate becomes too much, then I'm not able to focus and I'm not able to do my best work. I'm on the wrong side of that curve, right? Mm -hmm. And so in terms of recognizing what's going on with ourselves, um, now most of the counseling world these days, real, and I would say a lot of the performance psychology world, sports psychology um, I, I take a different approach than a lot of what I read. I've got to say, um, there's a lot of emphasis on cognitive behavioral work. You know, this idea that your thoughts and your actions affect how you feel. And while there's nothing inherently wrong with that conceptually, I, I think it's a lot more complicated than that. I think, I think mind, body, spirit, the relationships we hold, those all form this ecosystem in us and they're all interactive and, and they all affect how we feel and how we achieve in a given moment. Um, and so, um, you know, from, from a, a professional educator standpoint, we can look to different things that may or may not, if like something in any of these areas starts to just misfire for us. And so let me give you some examples. Um, maybe when we start not sleeping as well, we, we, we were not able to unwind at the end of the day with busy brain or whatnot. Um, one of the ones I hear a lot and I see a lot and have experienced a lot is when we just get a really short fuse. You know, we things that set us off that don't normally set us off. You know, we, we're kind of uh, hyper reactive to things. Um, and 
uh, you know, the problem as a fine arts, all fine arts teachers are smart and they're clever, right? And so the problem is when you have a short fuse and you pop off at someone, it's usually a pretty good zinger and you're probably going to get, get a parent call about it, right? <laughs> usually, so, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, um, you know, when that filter between our brain and our mouth isn't working quite so well, um, physiologically, when we start to notice things like pain in the jaw or the neck or the shoulders or tummy troubles, a lot of people don't realize this, that th there is a, there's a nerve called the vagus nerve that runs between the brain and the belly that is like a super highway for stress information. And so a lot of times when we are, um, uh, when we're feeling stress, we'll have stomach problems and, and we don't even do the math that those are connected and our doctor's giving us antacids or something and it's not helping. And it's because what we need to do is figure out how to manage that stress more, more effectively. Um, you know, sometimes interpersonally, our partners and our family and friends will notice things before we will. You know, if, if uh, suddenly you're, you're in the doghouse with your partner a lot more because you're just popping off or, you know, not being quite the kind person that you normally are, then, you know, we start to notice those things, right? Um, Even our <laughs> students point it out sometimes too. Yeah, absolutely, because they are very perceptive. They they notice little things in us that we don't even notice, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you know, sometimes you'll have a kid walk in, uh, you know, and go, Mr. Stanford, what's wrong? And you're like, what are you talking about? You know, and then two periods later, you realize, oh, yeah, I am kind of feeling feeling out of sorts, right? And so recognizing things in our sleep, things in our interpersonal interactions, tummy troubles, headaches, teeth grinding, um, sweaty palms, um, something that musicians always laugh at, uh, you know, but there's this whole range of physiological exp uh, expressions of the stress response in the body, right? Pupils dilate, all these things that happen when caveman sees the tiger, right? Um, because we're all cavemen living in a modern world. It's human brain and body haven't changed in about 40,000 years. And so um, all of those things that caveman would experience when he faces the tiger, right? Um, one of those, two of the two that musicians tend to love. One is, uh, um, have you ever had this experience when, you know, you haven't necessarily had anything to drink, but you step out, you're about to step on a stage and suddenly you really have to pee? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the stress response. That's your body talking to you saying, hey, you're you're going up in, you know, your stress response is working properly, right? Um, another, which is really an interesting one for musicians, is called auditory exclusion. And when I tell that to musicians, the, the collective gasp in the room is always entertaining. But uh, so if you think about, again, caveman tiger, he needs to be focused on the footsteps of the tiger, not on the owl that's hooting up in the up in the trees, right? And so our ears kind of um, tend to exclude other stuff. Uh, and unfortunately, we don't get to decide what that is. And... Um, so as someone who's trying to rehearse an ensemble or as someone who maybe is trying to maintain classroom discipline and wants to really hear what kids are saying under their breath in the third row, sometimes if we are hyper-stressed, then our ears do not serve us well in those things. Yeah. So um, yeah, any anything mind-body related that just doesn't feel like it's working right, I think we want to pay attention to. Uh, the good news in that, Eric, is that while stress manifests in all of those things, I think that also gives us a pathway into that ecosystem. And so maybe we get home at night and we don't really want to talk to our whoever about the day we've had. We're done thinking about it. Have you ever had a day like that? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, you've had a heck of a day, but you do, you just can't retrace that again, and you feel like doing so isn't going to lead you anywhere good, right? The good news is you don't have to be, because there are plenty of mind, body, spirit, relationship interventions that we can use to help ourselves kind of get back down to home base, right? To get our our baseline um, anxiety levels, right? Down, you know, our internal working um, trampoline, as it were, you know, get that tuned in such a way. I definitely want to go into more about that in just a little bit more. Well, actually, let's go into that now, um, if you don't mind. So tell me more about getting that back into just like a baseline, chill, Mm -hmm we're trying to get to where we can function in our normal selves. Yeah. So listeners who are seeing a cognitive behavioral therapist will be in frequently, I'm sure there are other things, but will frequently be invited to uh, talk about limiting beliefs that they carry, or uh, the therapist will help them um, identify uh, irrational beliefs that are somehow um, uh, affecting them. And again, nothing inherently wrong with that, right? And I, I'm not going to go deep into the neuroscience of this, but when we, when we kind of start to play stories in our mind, we make movies, as my wife likes to say, uh, the, the problem is the brain doesn't really believe in fiction. And so the brain thinks every story that you make up is a documentary. And, and it talks to the fastest part of the brain that affects the nervous system. Uh, and so by the time the cognitive part of your brain is saying, Eric, just stop. This is not what's going on. It's okay. By that, it's too late. You've lost that race and your body's already reacting. Um, you know, have, have you ever had a parent argument in your brain that never really happened in person? Uh, uh I've had arguments in my brain with lots of people <laughs> that never really ever <laughs> happened <laughs> and yeah. including myself. And, you know, as, and you wander down that path of imagining so many different things. And as yeah. we are creative artists, we get very imaginative sometimes. Yeah. yeah and then sure you're trying to figure out where it became fact and fiction. And mm-hmm. did this ever actually really happen sometimes? It's just, mm-hmm. yeah, I know exactly what you mean. And the two functional parts of that that we want to remember are the brain thinks it's all true. You know, it's all Ken Burns, no Steven Spielberg. Uh, and, um, and it talks to the fear circuitry in the body. And this, you know, and then by the time the part of your brain that knows the difference gets into the mix, you're out of luck. You've already, you know, you already had the cortisol, the adrenaline and all this stuff. Right. So, um, to your question, you know, and again, I don't, I don't mean to, to, to bag on cognitive behavioral therapy because I know that there are some folks who get some wonderful benefit from that and, you know, um, and it can certainly bring us a lot. And I pull from CBT kind of in a more specific way through mindfulness and we'll talk about that, I think, later. Um, but Eric, I, as I've um, put into practice uh, regularly with myself and also with the people that I work with, if we think about that ecosystem, mind, body, spirit relationships, right? Um, I believe that activities that most effectively uh, deploy multiple components of that ecosystem simultaneously uh, typically do the best job of kind of loosening that internal trampoline, 
right? That psychological trampoline that stressors bounce off of, right? And then when the trampoline's really tight, they bounce super high and we peg and we, you know, have all those consequences. If we can loosen that trampoline, then the same stuff happens. I mean, life happens, right? Um, but when we can make ourselves less reactive, we can respond instead of react in the moment and then things go much better. So let me give you some examples. Um, yes, I was going to ask you for some. So thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, again, we all have our own preferences on these things. Um, but uh, things like uh, group endeavors, you know, group uh, activities, you know, so the you know the the thing where people will go and like paint together and like the wine and art kind of thing i've never done that but it always looks fun um yeah and uh so that's i mean if you look at that activity right um that activity we are working are we working on the mental level i would argue we are we're working on the emotional level probably are you working on the physical level absolutely are you working on the social level Probably. So you're capturing all four of those in just kind of a really non-invasive uh, way. You're just out having fun with your friends. This is why I really like uh, having meals with friends and families. I think I think family dinners are sort of a lost art anyway. And, um, and I think there's a lot important about meals with other people. Um, physiologically, if you're talking, you're eating slower and chewing your food. You're having that social interaction. You're probably talking about something that matters to you. And, and so don't underestimate the value of something as simple as going to a meal with someone that you like. Um, and I don't know about you, but I've spent more than a bajillion days just eating lunch at my desk while I'm trying to catch up on my grade reporting or something. Exactly. And if we can somehow get out of that routine and, you know, and people might say, well, Chris, if I don't do that, I can't get my grades in on time. And I get that, you know, I, I do. It's a difficult problem and I'm, I'm not offering simple solutions. Um, and, um, so, but this is where things like exercise, uh, you know, and we all like to exercise differently, you know, um, you wouldn't know what to look at me, but I like to go to the gym. Uh, you know, my, my wife likes to run, but she doesn't like to run with other people. So I'm never invited on her runs because she likes to get her headphones in and just do her thing. And that's, that's her, you know, individual time. There are other people that like to run in groups or ride bikes in groups. And, and so you kind of capture that social element. Uh, this is where things like yoga, tai chi, you know, group exercise classes and dance class. I mean, I don't know. There's a million of them, right? But, um, I think contemplative practice can be a really important part of a comprehensive approach. Uh, this is where, you know, whatever spiritual beliefs you hold, uh, if any, um, can be really powerful, you know, and then the research shows us that people who, who are invested in spirituality tend to, to be more, uh, emotionally and socially well-adjusted. Um, now I'm not pushing religion on you. That's not, not my point. Um, but my point is that whatever, uh, contemplative practice means for you, uh, we we find that that can be a really useful thing. And I've got some specific ways that I teach that I think we'll talk about um, to kind of mobilize that a little bit. But whatever getting mind-body-spirit relationships, even two of those kind of at the same time, you know, maybe lifting weights is also something that's emotional for you, or maybe lifting weights while listening to your podcast that really turns your mind on, whatever. Um, but when we can actively engage in those things, then it pulls our mind-body system in a certain direction that I think can, can lead us towards better health and functioning.
Makes a lot of sense. Now, I know that us as teachers, you mentioned it before, we don't always have time to sit down and eat with people, especially lunch when we have, it's our one chance to sit down and go to the restroom of the entire day. And so when do we know we need to take a break? Like what's that point that we can like start to look at ourselves and look look within or just recognize the points and say, Eric, you really need to take a break today. You really just need to stop for a moment and give yourself some time, a few hours, or maybe a whole mental health day if you can afford that. Where's that point? Where's that breaking point that we need to be on the lookout for? I think that's a very personal answer for everyone. Uh, we all sort of know our own tolerances and, and uh, baselines there. What I would say generally is that um, if you notice your health starting to suffer, uh, even even in the short term, you know, uh, things like sleep, digestion, appetite, if you start to notice differences in those things, it's time to pay attention. Your body talks to you. You, it really does. And um, I think also, like we said, if the other people in your life seem to be concerned, you know, um, I think also if we have big changes in our lives, you know, I mean, as an adult, parents go through health concerns and relationships come and go and, and you know, all kinds of things like that happen. And I think we also have to be aware of how our personal life, even though we say we draw a line between our personal life and our professional life, the truth is they all intersect in you. And and so, you know, if you have a relationship that goes through whatever it goes through, and then you show up to uh, 65, 11-year-olds with brass instruments first thing in the morning, how can those not be interconnected? And, and, you know, we, we're, we're not robots. I mean, yes, we are professionals, but we're not robots. And so I think, I think you've got to honor that and recognize it. And um, I think one of the things that uh, maybe goes undiscussed a lot is, is if we notice that we are somehow in any way kind of getting out of our own value system, if we find that we are maybe... Uh, something as simple as talking to people in ways that maybe don't really reflect the, the respect or esteem we hold for them. Uh, something like that. You know, if we catch ourselves maybe in those shame cycles after those interactions, like, man, I'm usually nice. God, that, that's a nice kid. Why did I just kind of come down on him like that? You know, God, that parent really just wants to help, and I just told them to mind their own business. I mean, yeah, whatever, right? And, but, you know, when so if you catch yourself in one of those shame cycles after an inter, inter, interaction, then we can go back and say, okay, well, how does what I did line up with the values that I hold? Because stress causes us to get out, out of our own value system. It does. It doesn't mean we're bad people. It means that we're human. And if we notice those, you know, discrepancies, then that's probably a pretty good indicator that we need to somehow disrupt that cycle a little bit in some way. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. Join us again next week as we continue the conversation with Chris Neal for part two about mindfulness techniques that you can use both for yourself and with your students in class. We look forward to hearing from you on our socials, which you can find in the show notes and at the faecc.org website. Until next time, I wish you peace and blessings.